0: let's grab our Bibles and go to John and in specifically chapter eight I have been praying for this moment since we began this series together that tonight ultimately would be the culmination of all things that God has poured into us over the past week weeks and the result would be shattered strongholds that true freedom would be experienced in your lives, and not just freedom for those of you who are believers that may be bound up in strongholds, but freedom for those of you who are lost and in sin and don't know the forgiveness and the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus yet. And God has set us up with what I feel like is the perfect ending to all things that we have discussed over the past several weeks together. And we find it in John chapter 8. And I'm going to start reading in verse 31. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Tonight's subject is simple. Live free. Live free. Tell a friend beside you, it's time to live free. It's time to live free. It's time to live free. To live free. Jesus has been speaking to the crowds, proclaiming to them that he is the light of the world, that he truly is the Messiah sent from God as the Savior for all mankind. And on the backside of that conversation, he then explains how true freedom is found. But he doesn't just explain how true freedom is found. He also explains how true freedom is kept, which is monumental for us tonight and what we have been walking through together in this journey. And my prayer for each and every one of you has been not just that you would find freedom, but that you would remain in freedom as well. And Jesus shows us the very reality of that kind of life. I mean, He says if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Matter of fact, He would later affirm the freedom that He gives with an even greater ferocity by stating in John chapter 10, Verses 27 through 29, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. The good news for those of us who are in Christ tonight is that the devil can never reclaim what Jesus has rescued. I believe freedom is indeed going to come flooding into this place tonight, but beyond this moment. Jesus wants us as his people to remain in freedom. So here he gives us some keys to do just that. Speaking of keys, I want to show you my key real quick. See that? Isn't that cool? It's like pretty gold-plated and everything. I'm the guy here at our church campus that locks and unlocks all the doors so on Sundays and Wednesdays when you show up here and you walk up to a door and you pull it open and it lets you inside the building that was me getting here early to open that up so that you could get inside to the air conditioner or the heat and experience a worship service and then when you leave long before everybody is or long after everybody is gone, I'm the guy that goes around the entirety of this campus and locks all the doors back up and turns all the lights off. And on the side of this key, I know you won't be able to see it, but there's an M inscribed on the side of it. This stands for master key. This is a master key. And the cool thing about this key is is that I can take this one single key and it gives me access To everything on this campus. There is not a door that can be locked on this place that I cannot gain access to with just this one key. That's why it's called a master key. Anywhere that I want to go, any door that I want to get into, here it is right here. My master key. I just thought maybe y'all wanted to see my key as we got started tonight. So let's talk about some of the keys Jesus gives us for freedom And the first one is quite simply this, is that if we're going to live free and if we're going to remain in freedom, then we've got to hold on to the truth that the word is greater than the world. Jesus told these people, if you go back and look at verse 31, he says, he said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So quite simply, it works like this. In his word, we find truth. And in his truth, we find freedom. Now this is monumental. This is life changing for everything that we as a people of faith profess and proclaim. Our lives are to be built off of the word of God. And so if that's going to be the case, then we have to hold it as absolutely true and as the absolute authority within our lives. And Jesus said, that is indeed what my word is. It is absolute truth. It is absolutely authoritative. And in my word, you will find truth. And in my truth, you will find freedom. And this is huge for us. And I think this is huge for your generation because we live in a world that perpetuates a false narrative, in telling you that your best life is found in living your truth. The world wants to tell you that your best life is found in living your truth. So in other words, be who you are. Love how you love. Change what you want to change. If you don't like it, then change it, and that's fine. That's how you're going to be able to live your best life, is to do whatever it is that you want to do, however you want to do it, whenever you want to do it. Listen, everything about this to me, it looks like the devil in the garden with Adam and Eve all over again. We're thousands of years removed, but the tactic is still the same. It's the devil in the garden with Adam and Eve all over again. What God told you isn't really true. Did God really say not to eat of that tree? It's not that he doesn't want you to eat of that tree. It's just that he knows if you do, you will become like him. So what God said isn't really true. The, the best thing for you to do, Adam, the best thing for you to do, Eve, is to make your own truth because that's how your life should really be lived. That's where freedom is really found. That's where enjoyments really found. That's where satisfaction is really found. That's where fulfillment is really found. See, he's getting upset because his lies are getting exposed. And hey, y'all think it's funny, but it's real. I promise you. In the back of the room just a while ago, while y'all are up here worshiping, I could feel the spiritual tension in this room because he knows what's about to go down. He wants you to live your own truth. And he don't want me to tell you that. But listen... Let's, let's focus back in. The problem with this is our truth doesn't make us free. Your truth will never make you free. It never has, and it never will. The greatest deception of the devil is tricking people into thinking they're free when in reality they're enslaved. So Jesus says, my word is truth. And my truth is freedom. That's why his word is greater than anything that can be found in this world. His word brings true freedom. His word brings true fulfillment. His word brings true satisfaction. His word brings true life. His word brings true direction. His word brings true purpose. And listen, the world will promise all of those same things. But the difference is none of them are true. They are all false. They're all counterfeits. They're all copies of the original that God put into place. And on top of that, none of them will produce freedom. If we want to live free, then we have to believe his word is greater than this world. And if we want to remain free, Jesus says, catch this, we have to abide there. If you want to remain free, you have to abide there. He's speaking to this crowd, and as he turns around, he says to them, if, if, if you abide in my word. You know what it means to abide? Abide. It means to dwell, to reside, to quite literally live in. That's what it means to abide. So as followers of Jesus, we should have our home in his word. It's what we are to dwell in. It's what we are to live in. God's word as followers of his should saturate every area and aspect of our life. But I think most times we treat God's word more like a verbo. We don't live there. It's just something we reserve for special occasions. But we love to post about it while we're there. And then eventually the occasion ends and we go back to life as normal. And Jesus says, it's not it. That's not it at all. That's not what it means to abide in my word. That's not what it means to live in my word. That's not what it means to dwell In my word, as a matter of fact, the word of God in the life of a believer should be described like this. In Psalm 119, we find various different psalms written about the place that the word of God is to hold inside the life of a believer. And I'm going to read a bunch of different verses, just kind of all strung together. But listen to how the psalmist describes the word of God in his life. He says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Give me life according to your word. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. And then in verse 72, which I think is maybe one of the most powerful verses ever written as a descriptive of the value that God's word should hold in our lives. This psalmist says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Let me ask you something, man or woman of God, is this how God's word is described in your life? I mean, just look at the way in which this psalmist describes He says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight. Open my eyes, I may hold your wondrous things. My soul is consumed. I long for your rules at all times. Give me life according to your word. I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. And it's better to me than all the money that you could ever fork over. Does God's word hold that kind of value in your life? That's what it sounds like for someone who abides in the word of God. And if you are going to live free, and if you are going to remain in the freedom that Jesus has brought into your life, God's Word has to have this kind of a premium value in your life. It can't be something that you just visit every night and then on special occasions. It can't just be something that fits into your schedule conveniently whenever you want it to. It has to hold preeminence. It has to hold priority. It has to be something that we cannot live without on a daily basis, because in all honesty, as followers of Jesus, we can't live without it. I have to have it each and every single day. Life is too hard. There are too many difficulties. There are too many uncertainties. There are too many questions that I don't have answers to. I don't know how to be a good pastor. I don't know how to be a good husband. I don't know how to be a good friend if I do not ever consult the Word of God and find the direction and the instruction and the guidance and the wisdom that it offers my life. And I will never walk in freedom if I live my life apart from the words that set me free. For we're going to live in freedom, His Word must truly be greater in our lives. Guys, oh my goodness, develop a longing for the Word in your life. If you want to remain in freedom. The other thing that Jesus shows us that's important for living in freedom, but also remaining in freedom, is that we need to truly, truly believe that the Son is greater than our sin. If you go back to the verse 34, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free. Indeed, if we're going to live free, we must hold to the truth that the son is greater than our sin. And Jesus makes the point that if you practice sin, then you are indeed a slave to sin, a slave that, by the way, is unable to set himself free. But as we've seen, Jesus has defeated our sin and has conquered its mastery over our lives to where it no longer holds dominion over us. Its power has been severed, its control has been loosed, its grip has been removed, and so we don't have to live as sin being our master. We live as Jesus being our Master And Jesus describes it as this, is when you accept him as Lord and Savior, he says that sin gets kicked out of the house of our heart and no longer remains there because that's where the Son resides. And that's the beauty of being renewed, that's the beauty of being restored, that's the beauty of being redeemed in Christ, is that no longer does sin have a home within us because this is Jesus' house. And his spirit, his spirit indwells there. And just in case you think that this isn't a reality or this isn't a truth, we know that the Spirit of God and the sin of man cannot reside in the same place. Holiness has nothing to do with the presence of sinfulness. And so if the Son has set you free and you are indeed free, then the Spirit of God resides in you. Sin cannot find a place to dwell within us. That doesn't mean it don't want to knock on the door from time to time. But it has no opportunity to reside in us any longer. Jesus is greater than our sins. Jesus is greater than our strongholds. So listen, in the context of everything that we've been talking about, in the context of shattering strongholds, the reality of this truth is that when it comes down to it, He's greater than your porn addiction. He's greater than your depression. He's greater than your suicidal thoughts. He's greater than your anxiety. He's greater than your eating disorder. He's greater than your wounds from abuse. He's greater than your past. He's greater than your sexual temptations. And if He sets you free, you are free indeed. One of the beauties of the cross and receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior is that sin's definition is swallowed by Jesus' declaration. So, where sin defined us as slaves, Jesus declared us as free forever. Not just temporarily free, not just a momentary freedom, but a forever eternal freedom that has been bought and purchased by his blood. On the cross, we're not just free every now and then as those who have been born again in him. We are free right now. Tomorrow when you wake up, you will be free tomorrow. The next day when you wake up, you will be free tomorrow. The next day when you wake up, you will be free tomorrow. Who's thankful for the freedom that Jesus has brought into our lives? You know, the thing is, we've got to get back to taking the fullness of the gospel into consideration each and every day. We talk about the gospel as if the gospel is only for those who haven't been redeemed yet, but the gospel takes shape in the life of a believer each and every day, as at least it should. We've got to take the fullness of the gospel back into consideration the reality that Jesus left heaven to be born into our flesh, becoming like us to live a sinless life on this earth in order to be crucified on a cross after a merciless, unjust, inhumane beating and mocking so that our sins could be atoned for and we could be redeemed and restored. And listen, he didn't do all of that. He didn't go through all of that so that we could continue to live in bondage and defeat, but so that we could live in freedom and victory. A little encouragement maybe for a few of you here tonight, stop letting the devil power trip you. Stop letting the devil bluff you back into bondage. 1 John 4.4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Stop letting the devil power trip you. Stop letting Him bluff you back into a bondage that Jesus has overcome and has set you free from. He is greater. Do you not know that He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world? Everybody say He's greater. He's greater. He's greater. He's greater. He's greater. You don't have to bow to the will of the devil. You don't have to bow to the strongholds that He sets up in your life because Christ is greater in you. We live free when we declare the greatness of the sun. So when was the last time you did just that? Listen, if the only time that you declare the greatness of the sun is when you come in here for a worship set, it's no wonder you struggle with living in bondage. We live free when we declare the greatness of the sun. You still battling it. That's okay. Feeble attempts of a defeated foe because nothing will hinder the Word of God from going forth. If I have to put the mic down and scream at y'all without it, we will get the Word of God out tonight. I can assure you, we live free when we declare the greatness of the Son. One last key that Jesus gives, and actually we've got to go over to Galatians chapter 5 for it, and you might not have realized it, last week, but I set this up for you beforehand. In Galatians 5, verse 1, God's word reads, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. If you want to live free and if you want to remain in freedom, then the stand has to be greater than the submission. Remaining in freedom will require us to take a stand, and Paul says a firm one at that. Why? Because the enemy in our flesh are always seeking an opportunity to put us back in bondage. That's why we have to have series like this. That's why we have to sit down and have these kind of talks and have these kind of discussions because... Our enemy never grows tired, he never grows weary, and he never gives up on trying to keep saints in slavery. And so even though Christ has won our freedom, even though we can make the choice to daily live in that freedom and there is nothing that the enemy can do about that, he will do whatever he can to rob you of that freedom. He will do whatever you can to make you feel as if you aren't free. And our flesh is the same way. They're always and ever seeking an opportunity to place us back and the bondage, that's why Paul urges, do not submit again. Do not submit again. In other words, don't give in once more to a position of living that Christ has set you above. Too many believers, unfortunately, settle for a position of living in this life that is lower than what Christ has enabled them to live at. And so we walk around in defeat, we walk around in depression, we walk around in discouragement because we don't believe that the power of God's word really has the power that it says that it has. We don't truly believe that we have the position that Christ says he has placed us in, and so we struggle with always wanting to drift back into our bondages. We struggle with always wanting to drift back into our strongholds. We struggle with always wanting to drift back into our former way of living before we knew Christ. Listen, just because you experience freedom doesn't mean that you'll stop experiencing temptation. And I think it's important for each and every one of you to hear that and know that a lot of people think, well, if I'm living in complete freedom, then I will never face another temptation again. It doesn't work like that whatsoever. Temptation will never stop. Temptation will never leave your life completely. If the devil was bold enough to tempt Christ himself, God in the flesh, then he has no struggle whatsoever with tempting you on a daily basis as well. So we're talking about freedom, and we're talking about living in freedom, and we're talking about remaining in freedom, but that does not mean you will never face another temptation to go back into a bondage, to go back into a stronghold, to go back into a former way of living after God delivered the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. For a long, 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 long time, we see this urge inside of them to do what? To go back to Egypt. Egypt was their place of bondage. Egypt was the place of their suffering. Egypt was the place of their trials. Egypt was the place of their hardship. Egypt was the place of their oppression. And God, in a miraculous way, liberated his people from that bondage, from that slavery, from that oppression. And he's leading them in the way of his promises to a land that is going to be, as he described, flowing with milk and honey. And yet all throughout that wilderness travel, we see the Israelites saying to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us all the way out here so that we could die? At least in Egypt, we were fed. At least in Egypt, we had shelter. At least in Egypt... We had water, at least in Egypt. We had a way to provide, and now you've brought us out of that and brought us into this uncertainty, into this unknown. We would much rather go back to the place where we were held in bondage. We would much rather go back to the place where we were enslaved. We would much rather go back to the place that we were oppressed. And now why on God's green earth would these people, who as a nation historically for 400 years had lived in this state, ever want to go back into that. I think it's because when you wear them for so long, chains can actually become comfortable. And you forget they're even there. And the temptation of the devil is that it's much easier It's much easier. It's much easier. This is why, if there's a way, my vocabulary can't do it. But if there's a way I, I could form my words and make you realize the depths of the lies and the deception and the reality of the spiritual war that's taking place for your souls and for your life, The enemy would much rather you live and make you think that it's easier to be subjected to slavery than to fight in freedom. And and he's so good at what he does. He's such a good deceiver that, that so often he will even trick us into thinking that freedom isn't worth it that it would just be much easier to not have to fight to remain free, to not have to face the battles, to not have to face the struggles. It would be much easier to just just go back and instead of taking the chains off, just put the chains on because at least that was a comfortable lifestyle. At least that was easy. At least I knew what to expect. At least I I knew what was going to take place. At least I felt like I had some control over my life. And the thing is, the devil knows the places we are weak in. And if it was once a stronghold, even if Jesus shatters it, he will attempt to rebuild it. He he doesn't think freedom is something you should have. You know why? Because he doesn't have it. He is eternally condemned. To separation from the holiness and the glory of God, isolated in a dark, fiery, ugly, nasty place. And and the last thing, whether he would admit it or not, that he wants to do is remain in that place by himself. And so, if he can bring you with him, it would give him all the satisfaction in the world, it would give him all the fulfillment in the world is if he could have you in that place with him because he doesn't think freedom is something you should have if we're going to live free I've got news for you you're going to have to stand firm you're going to have to dig in Jesus may tear down your stronghold tonight but in the same breath the devil will start trying to rebuild it i got to show you this as we finish up something that amazing that that God kind of brought about actually a few months back before we ever even got into this series before I ever knew this was going to be a thing this is something something cool that he showed me so I'm going to read a passage out of Mark chapter 5 and then I'm going to show you some things afterwards and you can just follow along with the story in verse 2 it says when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain." And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Listen, this is unbelievable because I think you need to realize and and see, we talk about how Jesus is a chain breaker and that is absolutely true. But even the enemy can break chains. Time and time again, this man was bound with chains and with shackles. And time and time again, he would break them apart. Even the enemy has the ability to break chains. But Jesus unlocks shackles. And so you got to see this in Acts chapter 12. Peter's in prison. He's been arrested and the church is praying for him. And in verses 6 and 7 says, Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night. So he's getting ready to kill Peter. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. And a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. Now see this. And the chains fell off his hands. You see it? Jesus didn't break the chains off of Peter. Jesus didn't break the shackles off of Peter. He got up and they fell off. You got to see it again. You got to see it again in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in prison too it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, And everyone's bonds were unfastened. Do you see it again? Once again, there's there's no Jesus walking into the cell and grabbing the chains, ripping them apart, shattering them into pieces. It's just a move of his power. And the bonds and the shackles, they just fell off. Completely unlocked completely unfastened And see the thing is 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 that you can be bound You can have shackles on your wrists and they can be bound with chains and you can break those chains apart and still be wearing the shackles But Jesus is so great and Jesus is so powerful and Jesus is so mighty That he doesn't just break the chains. He unfastens the shackles so that nothing remains There's nothing holding us back. There's nothing hindering us. There's nothing that can keep us bound. Listen, I know there's more than a few of us in here tonight that are in bondage. But Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus is the master with a key. He is the master with a key. He is the master key. And there is no lock that he cannot unfasten. There is no prison that he cannot gain access to. And so, if you're in bondage tonight, if you're bound up in sin, if you're bound up in a stronghold, you need a master key, and that's Jesus. Yeah. Revelation one eighteen. Jesus says this. He says, "I died, and behold, I am alive for everymore, and I have the keys of death and Hades." You know what that means? It means that Jesus has the key to unlock death. And hell's grip on your life. He has it. He has the keys. You need freedom tonight? You got to take your chains to the master with the key. Let him unlock them. Let him fall to the ground. Jesus doesn't just break them, he unshackles. And what has kept you bound up for so long? I've been waiting for six weeks to take those off. Peter in prison got up and they fell to the ground. Paul and the prisoners in the midst of an earthquake stood up and they fell to the ground. Can you hear the sound of them falling to the ground tonight? Psalm 116, David says this I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. But the beauty of this it goes even further is that there's a step beyond this. So, not just believing that Christ is going to set some of you free tonight free from your bondages, free from your strongholds. And I just believe in that there's some lost souls tonight that are gonna be set free in the name of Jesus. I believe all those things are gonna happen. But for those of us in this room that are saints, it, it, it goes so much further. And Jesus says, I have the key to death and hell. And then in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19, and he says this to Peter, but he was speaking it to the church as a whole. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus in his graciousness unlocks your chains, unlocks your shackles, unlocks your bondages. And afterwards, it says here, you take this to somebody else that's in bondage you take this to somebody else that's bound in sin and you say the master sent me with a key I've been set free so you can be set free as well <laughs> isn't that a glorious thing that those of us who have been set free have now been given the opportunity to help others be set free Do you need a master key tonight? Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for his glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.